the stairs. I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF, I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, ably assisted, as always, on Fridays by our buddy, bad boy, Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today? Uh, I'm not doing very well. And the reason for that would be, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess sure. that it has something to do not only with the Seahawks going down, to, going down to defeat at home, which is a funny habit the L.A. Rams have of inflicting these defeats when they go up to Seattle. Don't you know that you're not supposed to even be able to hear yourselves there? And instead they win. But of more concern and in all sincerity, I understand that Russell Wilson was injured. Do you have an update, Benny? I don't have an update, but I did see the whole entire play. It looked pretty bad, but then again, I've done exactly what he he had uh, happened to his hand um what's funny is like you see russell like he's a strong dude mentally and physically and all that he looks like he's like walking off showing the trainers like look at my finger what are you gonna do about it like just pop it back in man get back to work get in there <laughs> that's what i think but i'm not that's like what at high school level. coaches will do that right kind of, that's probably kind of why yeah. yeah that's probably why this isn't a high school game so but it was a tough exactly. loss but uh we you know give better luck to the hawks for the next one with the steelers and uh how was your guys's uh week off though because you were on last week we we went to uh the mouse house the mouse house our- for our 20th celebration Aww. and, and uh, the Magic Kingdom's 50th celebration. So happy yeah. for you too. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. just picked one. You reserve tickets now in a way that we didn't used to do. They, they're always evolving how they yeah. deal with with uh, guest interaction. So we wound up choosing Epcot. Suzanne loves that better than any other park. And I guess I'd have to go along with that. It, it's close because I love Animal Kingdom a lot, but Epcot is number one with us. It's 40th anniversary, by the way, will wow. be next October 1, 40th anniversary. And I am going to be prepared. I want us there on, on the 40th. I don't know that I'll be around for the 50th. Who knows? But if I can be around for the 40th, I'm going to do it. We're going to roll the dice on that one, Suzanne, and hope that something happens to moderate the unbelievable prices. Oh, my God. Yeah. When you go there now, it's like if you get home with a dime in your pocket, call it a win. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, very, very, very expensive. And so we just spent one day there. And then we had to recover. We walked five miles. Wow. We're not used to walking five miles. So (laughs) we weren't walking at all the day after. (laughs) You didn't like bring a separate stroller for Gary at all? Like, you know, like leading a baby, you know, try to get there a little quicker. Both of us. (laughs) If that that plan is used, it's because I devised it. Now, look, I'll just put a hood over me and I'll just scrunch down. They won't even want to come near you. (laughs) That's That's a big baby. (laughs) yes indeed but it was a really good time it was good and we do wish russell wilson the absolute best he's one of the real gentlemen of the game yes 
On to our show. Another Jerry gentleman. Mays. Another gentleman. Another wonderful gentleman. We're talking about Robert Kopecki. Man, we can't wait to talk to him. Whenever we talk to him, whatever the length, whatever the, the interval between visits, we always feel like it's too long. We always feel that way. Yeah. 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 We love having him on. Would you like me to give him his mad props there? Let's do that and get the man on air. Okay. Robert Kopecki is a California-born writer, artist, and speaker who lived a variety of lives until becoming an award-winning illustrator, art director, and animation designer. And we're talking Disney here in front of the man. In the course of his unusual path, he survived three dramatically different near-death experiences that inspired years of study and meditation and led to the publication of his book, How to Survive Life and Death. He explores, writes, and teaches about the lessons he learned the hard way. And we will be sure to give out his website before the end of this hour. But in the meantime, welcome to Manson Mitchell. Once again, Robert Kopecki. So good to have you back. Well, thank you very much, Suzanne and Gary. It's a great pleasure to be with you guys again. It really is. Just don't ask me about the Yankees, okay? Because I just don't want to talk about that today. Burn. <laughs> so California born and bred, but you lived for quite a while in New York. Now I understand, Robert, that you are back in California. Yes. Yes. I'm in the Coachella Valley in Palm Springs uh, after living in New York City for 32 years or so. Wow. So, and you brought your yeah. Yankees allegiance with you. I did. Yes, I'm afraid to say I did. I'm stuck with that. Although, you know, I grew up as a Dodgers fan, and so I'm okay with what's oh. going on right now. I got a, I got a fallback. I can That's fall back. That's true. You got your yeah. Dodgers right there. I do. Yes. Very so good. These aspects of the material world uh, still engross me to no end. I am a baseball fan, born and bred. There you go. Let me ask you just off the top of my head, I have one question I'm going to hold on to for just a little bit that I've been curious about ever since we booked you once again. And that is, you know, there, Paul McCartney has a line in one of his many, 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 many songs in, in which he says, people are the same wherever you go. Have you found that this trafficking among sentient beings that you do uh, in a very high order of business there, you're twice a published author of wonderful books. We'll give the titles there during our marketing piece at the bottom of the hour. But how do you feel about that? Are people the same if it's Brooklyn, if it's Palm Springs, if it's San Francisco, if it's Miami? There must be some common denominators that you have noticed in your very storied life, Robert. Well, uh, naturally. I mean, um, you know, the, it really comes down to the fact that we're all kind of the same person, you know? On any, at any given moment, uh, all of us are thinking sort of the same kinds of thoughts. We're having the same kinds of fears. We're having the same kinds of hopes. If you're standing in line at the supermarket and you're like me, you no doubt are thinking, why am I in the, in the longest line again? How come it's taking me so long to get through this line? If you could hear everybody waiting at the supermarket, they would all be thinking the same thing at the same time. Um, the uh, the three near-death experiences, and I'll just touch on the first one briefly, which was an out-of-body experience where I was in a car accident and <clears throat> found myself looking down at the accident site and people uh, rushing to get help and an ambulance coming and taking my body out of the car and me trying to talk to people and stuff like that. And, and then 
shepherded away to this kind of a, an interview in sort of a pastoral, beautiful place. That experience itself really informed uh, the answer to your question, Gary, because it's hard to get the genie back in the bottle. You know, when you've been, you've been out of your body and you witness people, um, you can see that, uh, and you witness your own body, your own lifeless body, the material body. Uh, you recognize that you are not dead. I was not dead. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of having a body. I just was aware that I was seeing things, right? And you, you come to realize in a very profound way that each of us are these forms, these vehicles that are channeling through this kind of consciousness, this divine consciousness, right? And every one of our packages is a little bit different from another. So we, we all have very similar thoughts and hopes and dreams and fears and all of that and that is, are associated with being human. But it's all mitigated by our life experiences, by our genes, by the kinds of connections we have in our life. And so each of us is this unique package of what you might call karmic data, sort of, through which this fundamental divine consciousness channels. And so when I walk around in my regular life, my regular day-to-day -day life, and somebody comes up to me and they have a problem or they're, or they're behaving badly or they're incredibly wonderful people, I can see that this divine consciousness is channeling through that package of karmic data. You know, They are telling me who they are, what has formed them in their life. And <clears throat> I can identify with them with that kind of compassionate detachment in a way. Uh, so when I see people and I think about what our similarities and differences are, it's kind of through that lens. It's through that filter of recognizing each person as being a channel. And that's, you know, I talk about spiritual technology. It's like everybody is receiving spiritual Wi-Fi and it depends on how, how good your connection is, kind of, you know. Robert, it's, it's interesting to me, and I'm, I'm kind of smiling here about the synchronicity of, of where you jumped in since we uh, didn't go over the specifics of what we wanted to talk about. But what you said was really exactly where Gary and I were thinking we would like to go today. We have two of your books. Have you written more than two or you just have the two? No, just the two. Okay. Yeah, just the two for now. The second book is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, Wisdom from a Near-Death Survivor. We have heard repeatedly from people who have had near-death experiences that the uh, experience is so wonderful when you're out of the body that there is this sense of unconditional love and and a in a peacefulness that you don't have here on earth and when people come back from having been died for some period of time seconds minutes hours and and they come back they they know that there is a heaven they've experienced a heaven and and you're in your book how to get to heaven without really dying has some great ideas in it 
about how that can happen. And that was one of the things we wanted to talk about today from the last chapter of your book. You touched on the school of fish and also flocks of birds that we has been called to our attention. We've learned the, the word murmuration. So when you see birds that are all turning at the same time or fish that all of a sudden take a different path uh, suddenly, they are all in sync together. And what Gary and I wanted to ask you about was about rather than immediate changes, what, what about small changes that are cumulative in individual people? How can, how can the individual actually turn the whole flock around or the whole school of fish around? And you talk a little bit about that in your book. So that's where I'd like to go. We wanna know okay. how one person can make a difference. And, and you've got 20 ways in the back of the book. <laughs> Which we'll I do. To. Yeah, I have kind of a kind of a list there of tips. Um, Small yeah, changes. You know, that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, subject because that is hand in hand with what I was just talking about, the out of body yes. perspective on things. When you uh, when you have this kind of perspective on the world, when you can sit back from it as an objective witness, and if you were to be able to hold the planet at arm's length, as as many near death experiencers uh, are able to do, um, oftentimes near death experiencers talk about being in outer space in their experience and witnessing the Earth from a distance, kind of thing. You realize that all the life on the planet is one, you know, that it looks like a five o'clock shadow, you know, humanity looks like a five o'clock shadow kind of on the, on the globe. And so these aspects of murmuration or coherence, uh, those kinds of um, ideas, those connecting forces that exist between uh, within species and between species and to the life of the planet itself, um, you know, are, are very, very real. And people are doing that all the time. There are these movements and ripples and waves of, of uh, change that happen. A pandemic is a good example of that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, we're constantly subject to that. Of course, those forces are too big for us to take on by ourselves. And, and we really only are responsible for what we're able to, to do about anything. And so in that sense, this is a, um, a struggle of the individual in that way, that each one of us is trying to, um, <clears throat> Joseph Campbell put it well, he said that we were here to answer the metaphysical impulse to transcend the delusion of separateness. You know? Yes, yes. And so, <clears throat> and so we're, we're all kind of doing that all of the time. And the, uh, the connections may be sort of unseen to us in the moment, but they're really the, only, really the only way that we can personally bring about change is by being engaged in the moment, which you know, the, the second near-death experience I had was more about that, a life, a life review where you know, you, I was forced to 
realize that we are creating our lives, our karma in each and every moment, right? In the, the, the eternal moment that kind of never changes that we're always living in. So I can only do what I can do uh, right now. I uh, follow uh, um, certain principles that are, I think the principles that one would expect to find in, in heaven, which are like kindness, honesty, humility, forgiveness, compassion, and service, those kinds of things. And by bringing that into my life and having that kind of presence and engagement in my life, I follow uh, this sort of coherent movement uh, that, that is moving through uh, humanity. Uh, consciousness is spreading all the time. You know, we're, we live in a world where everything's starting to talk to us, <laughs> you know. Um, I'd say my, you know, my pen is talking to me. My, you know, uh, consciousness is, is kind of enveloping and growing. And there's kind of a race going on between this sort of um, the exploitation on a material level of the planet and the growth of consciousness as, as the spiritual solution to our problems. Now, when you look at uh, communities of species, the changes do not come from one individual stepping out and saying, hey, everybody, follow me. They come from this sort of mass alignment where each individual comes to a realization at the same point that something needs to be done for the survival of the group. They feel that within themselves, that arises within themselves. And then you get essentially to 51% kind of. Mm -hmm. And then the flock changes direction. The school shifts. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> It's hard to think about that in, as human beings because, of course, we're so egocentric, we're so self-centered, you know, it's so easy yeah. to get caught up in all the little stuff. But the little stuff you, is where it starts for us. You, you uh, said earlier, when you're standing in the grocery store line, we're all thinking the same thing at the same I think that's part of what you're talking about with coherence, which is a great quantum physics word or murmuration is that you do have a whole group of people that are all kind of thinking the same thing. You know, why am I in a line that's not moving? You know, where's the shortest line? Why am I in this line? Why does this always happen? And, and so you've got a whole group of people that are all having that same thought. And, and I'm, and I'm really curious about your saying that, that you see that, you know, part of it is about using up and destroying the planet. And part of it is about people waking up a little bit. Has it always been that way? Do you think that there has there been that divide? Or do you, do you think it's more pronounced now? I mean, we talk about the divisiveness in politics. Are we just more aware now of how divided things can be? You know, the, the, the waste of, of uh, materialism versus the idea of, of being more environmentally conscious. I mean, what, what is happening there, do you think? Do you think that we're really making a shift? Are we really making a change? Or do you think it's just always been that way? 
I think it's always been that way. It's always been at a different scale uh, because at this at this point now we have the technology to know about it all instantaneously oh, yeah. all over the planet. And we also have what approaching 8 billion people, I think something like that on the planet. Um, that's the first time we know of that that's happened. Although we don't really know what's happened on this planet. It could have, uh, you know, turned itself inside out uh, many times, you know, the the subduction of the of tectonic plates, you know, there could be all kinds of um, civilizations that have gone under and and uh, the earth has been reborn many times. I remember George Carlin saying, um, hey, it's not the end of the world, man. It's the end of us, <laughs> ah. which I think has been something that people have felt over and over and over again. You know, when 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 Rome fell to the barbarians, uh, people just like us were sitting in togas going, oh, my God, this is it. The end of the world has come, you know, well, the end of our world uh, came. And this this lesson that we're being taught over and over again about uh, how there's a spiritual solution to everything, about how materialism, material aspects of life come and go and are always changing, that things we do are not reversible. We're not the masters of this whole thing. We're not in control. These kinds of lessons have been uh, learned, have been taught, you know, by the world over and over again throughout history. Um, they seem particularly relevant and particularly powerful now because of this spread of consciousness, because I can be in touch with my, my dad halfway around the world right now, instantaneously. And that was never possible before. Uh, so it's also becoming very clear, given that we can see the effects of climate change every day, accelerating at a speed you know that's more rapid than any of us would want to have happen. And we're confronting, we're forced to confront the, this reality, this changing reality, uh, that all of this can change much faster than we might think. And there's an impermanence to it all, the great lesson of the Buddha, you know, that everything is always coming and going. And it's that place that it all comes from and goes to that never changes. And so we, we need to ground ourselves in that place, in that, that uh, field of potential. But, you know, it's not really that heaven is a place that you go to. It's not a location. That was the lesson of my three near-death experiences. It's not an address. It's a state of being. It's a relationship with this uh, boundaryless fundamental field, you know, this matrix of loving intelligence and, and miraculous infinite potential uh, that we exist in here in this life and in lives after this and presumably in lives before this too. Robert Kopecki is our guest. I think now would be a really good time to take our one and only break of this hour. There's something I want to ask you about, Robert. It's a very, very personal question regarding your near-death experiences. And of course, we have the marketing piece to get to on the other side of a short break so that people can find out more about you, especially online. They can get up close and personal. There are a couple of books we want to mention. The first is How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. And Robert Kopecki is also the author of How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, Wisdom from a Near-Death Survivor. That's who he is, or a lot of who he is, and he has a lot of great things to say. 
Robert Kopecki is with us. And get just a couple of minutes from now, we'll get back into the flow of conversation and um, we'll find out more about what he has going. He's sought after, by the way. That's the thing about Robert is that there are people in high places who want him to tell his story, to speak his truth with a bigger and bigger platform, richly deserved, I think. We are Manson Mitchell. You're listening to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150, and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Robert Kopecki, who, after living through three near-death experiences, discovered that you don't have to die to go to heaven. On Saturday, Mary Lee LeBay shares her expertise in hypnotherapy and past life regression, and even shares a technique that you can use yourself. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk AM 1150. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Robert Kopecki. Robert, we love both your books. They're on our shelves and right now they're sitting in front of us. If people would like to connect with you, what is your website and where can they get your books and anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, sure. Well, at uh, www.robertkopecki.com is one place. Uh, the place where I'm most active probably is robertkopecki.blogspot.com. That's uh, where I'm posting essays and the like. And where on the desktop version, you can directly buy books, particularly if you want them uh, signed. Their availability is in, has been in flux a little bit because Konari, who published the first book, went out of business, and Mango Publishers now has that. So that's available at Mango Publishing. And Llewellyn, who uh, does a lot of the Wiccan stuff and horoscope astrology and stuff, 
Um, they discontinued it, but it is still available. The second book, How to Get to Heaven, but it's still available, and it's available on my um, on my blog, or you know, on regular booksellers and stuff. It's out there. Excellent. Yes. Good. Thank you. All to the good. This is great. And your success is very much deserved, Robert. You know how to talk to people. I think that's just an invaluable gift. And people who don't learn it can learn it. And if you don't learn it, then maybe you don't have as much joy and success in your life as you ought to. But that's just my subjective opinion. And speaking of subjective, we have the world of experience. We have the veil, which uh, someone like Robert Capecchi has traversed. He's crossed that great cosmic membrane three times. Jeez, you think once would be enough. And thereby hangs a question. Robert, I want to ask you, by the time you got to your third near-death experience, was there a part of you, just that, that perceiving part of your humanness, where here again, you're on the other side or on the, on the doorstep of it, did you not say to yourself, oh, I'm having another one of these trips, <laughs> you know, this is third time around, really? Okay, guys, what is it this time? Was there a sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm in this far country, and yet oddly, it's familiar terrain? Um, well, you know something, I, I, um, each time it happened, I had justifications to sort of reconstruct my life via my ego. I, I didn't have a support group around me. I didn't realize that there were people that I shared these experiences with really. I wanted to sort of get back to my life and get things back on track because when I talked to people about these, they looked at me, you know, funnier than usual kind of thing. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't until um, a couple of years after my third one uh, where I had this kind of shift take place because um, there's, a, there's a lot of effort that goes into maintaining that level of denial, you know, and that's really kind of what I was doing then. I was trying to go on about my business as though it were business as usual, and it wasn't. It just wasn't, and it couldn't be. And um, when uh, despite outward appearances and sort of the material realities of my life, which were quite good, when that whole sort of structure fell apart on me personally, uh, and it happened around 9-11, I had this kind of realization. I was, I was present at 9-11, basically. I was in downtown Manhattan. I had this, uh, this what you might call a paranormal experience of the sensation that there were all of these liberated spirits around me. And it made me realize that maybe I had had experiences that other people hadn't had, and that this was something that I probably needed to ground myself in. And there was a great shift that took place with me then, where all of the sort of ego constructed justifications and stuff dissolved, they fell apart. I ended up getting this, um, this cabin on the upper Delaware River that I've, I've talked to you guys about uh, before, uh, where I actually, you know, sat on a rock by the river for years. I, I developed a meditation practice. I started uh, getting really interested in things like scripture and philosophy and physics and things that I had never been interested in before. And this uh, shift finally took place. Um, 
yeah, three times was not enough in my case, or actually three times was enough in my case. But, you know, I, I always say um, just to follow my advice and not my example when it comes to experiencing near death. Very good. Um, what we had talked about initially in your book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, is this idea of heaven not being a place that you go to, but a, a place where you live from. And in the back of the book, you have a list of 20 potential ways that you can create heaven on earth. And Gary and I went through all 20 of those this morning. And it was interesting to me that some of them are things that we felt pretty comfortable with and we're doing and others that we're not doing. And the idea about small changes, small changes making a difference as opposed to something radical and revolutionary, we would like to see a, a radical change in our planet and in our relationships and how life is going. But I think it, it does come about with small changes, you know, deciding to walk or bike instead of taking a car, if that is an option for you. And one of the things that, that we were patting ourselves on the back about was reuse, repurpose, and recycle everything as much as possible. We do a pretty good job of that. I, I would say better than average with our recycling and repurposing and reusing things. We do a lot of that. Other things, maybe a little bit less so, but we can see where a difference can be made with just a small change. My, my doctor had asked me if, uh, if I eat meat every day, or if we have at least one vegetable meal a week, and I had to stop and think about it. I said, oh yeah, 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 we'll do, we'll, do, we'll do a vegetable thing. And he goes, well, what do you have? And I said, oh, like soup and salad. Well, what kind of soup? Well, beef vegetable soup. Well, there's your beef. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and what's in the salad? Well, it's some chopped up deli turkey. So it was, it was a good wake up for me to say if we were going to do just one meal a week that didn't have any meat in it you know for for us it would just be one seventh one meal but you multiply that by eight billion people on the planet now you really got something going on so this is where we were kind of having this same conversation about small changes you know, being uh, civically involved, uh, eat well, but never too much, things like that. What have you found to be a little easier for you and maybe a little harder? Well, I, you know, I think that it's good to inform all of you. That's the 20 tips to living in heaven that I give. A lot of them are just sort of common sense kinds of tips right. and stuff, but I think if you if we step back from it again with that kind of spiritual perspective, most of us are living, uh, you know, day to day. You have to deal with all kinds of stuff. You, there's the, the the reality and and uh, um, 
that's sort of the expediency of life a lot of times that has to be uh, dealt with. And the, uh, the ability to really change things a great deal one way or another uh, sometimes just eludes you entirely. But the, um, the basic thing to ground it in, I think, is this sense that I'm getting through life and every once in a while I have a moment of spiritual connection where I feel, you know, I'm most of the time I'm agitated and I'm busy and I'm dealing with all this stuff. And every once in a while I get this kind of bubble of grace that I experience yeah, like and it's that. a wonderful thing. And I wish I could hold on to it, but mm-hmm. it sort of dissipates because the phone rings or, you know, <laughs> you're back in, in the race. If we can turn that equation around, if you consciously turn that equation around and realize that actually you are in, in touch, you have a spiritual technology, you have Wi-Fi to divine consciousness all the time. We are spiritual beings who every once in a while have to deal with the reality of being human the material realities of being human, right? Now that informs all of the decisions that you make. For me, it means I can't eat meat. I don't eat meat. I'm totally plant-based. Ah. And, and the reason why, and have been for like 17 years or something now. Mm. And the reason why is because as a spiritual being who's having a human experience, I recognize that I might have an interspecies relationship like say a native, a native, an indigenous person might have cultures like the Inuits or something, the relationships they have with walrus, for example, they, they end up revering and honoring and ritually uh, communing with the walrus spirits. They thank the walrus when they kill it and they use every part of the walrus, right? That does not describe our contemporary life. <laughs> when right. you go to the supermarket and there's this sort of, you know, sorry to use the word, but massacre kind of going on. Yes, yeah. That people are are not thinking about all the time. Well, think about this. The third largest polluting, carbon polluting nation in the world is cows. That's the number three polluter nation in the world, are cows. So I can't eat animals because they have uh, spirits. They are spiritual beings too. They have a consciousness that I don't understand, but I respect and appreciate. And so I, I can't take part in that. that. Those kinds of decisions are made for me at that level of my turning the equation around. That I'm not a human who gets to do whatever the hell he wants to do whenever he wants to. And every once in a while stops and, you know, meditates to feel good about things. (laughs) I try to be a fully connected spiritual participant in this world who is always feeling pretty good about everything. And then notices that there are these difficult moments of anxiety that come with being human. (laughs) Mm. That kind of thing. Well said. What I've noticed about you, Robert, is that there is a calmness in your presence. And we're just looking at each other here on Zoom and the listeners can hear the kind of the, the gentle tenor with which you deliver your remarks. I attach that or associate that with 
lengthy spiritual practice. This ability to not just keep it together as this life goes, and God knows that can be a challenge, but to express yourself in a way that indicates that you take your spiritual path seriously to A, believe in it, and B, share what you learn so that you can show your compassion, give people a better way forward. Does that characterize you? Would you plead guilty to that if it were a crime? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny, Gary, and thank you for that. I mean, the way that I see it is that that it probably comes from getting your butt kicked so seriously so many times. So, yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> being hit in the head real hard a number of times uh, will achieve the same thing. But because that inspired me towards the spiritual practice where I, I had the opportunity to, to um, become a meditator and become a seeker and to enter into that kind of eternal moment that we're always living in and sit in the stillness, sit with nature, um, become an observer of my own thoughts. These are things that meditation are really good for, you know, where you can objectively see the sort of madness that's going on inside of my head all the time, that voice that's talking to me, and, and uh, remove myself from it with some sort of compassionate detachment, uh, like I mentioned before. And I really encourage people to, um, to seek that out, you know, the, to notice their moments in nature where that, that veil to the divine is so thin Notice the moments when they have a, a pet sitting in their lap and they are connected to divine consciousness through that kitten or that puppy. You know, it's a real thing. Um, those times in the eternal moment when we, that we share with one another, when there are no obstacles to love, where we are tuned into that. And use that to help direct you know, to, to allow love to basically show you how to eat, where to go, who to hang around with, what to watch on television. Love is always directing you in, a, in I think, the best direction that there is. You know, so you can look at something and say, is this love or not? Is what I'm about to say from love or is it not? <laughs> you know, and I'll stop myself because I want to say that thing because that person should know it because I know better and I'm going to correct them, that kind of thing, but it's not from love. And so maybe I should just shut up, you know? So um, having that, those basic, real basic approaches um, ground you in that place where that stillness informs, informs you. And that's probably what you hear in me is that I, I sat, I sat in one place for a long time and, and kind of dealt with this inner examination uh, a lot. And I encourage everyone to, to do that. It's a beautiful pastime and it's a, a wonderfully liberating practice. You know, uh, Robert, what we've um, come to know from talking to people is that initially, uh, whether whatever your spiritual practice might be, including meditation, there is a, a difficult period when the self-examination is actually very critical. Things that we did that we wish we hadn't done, things we said that we wish we hadn't said. And so I think initially, when you start a practice like that, 
it seems very difficult because, boy, have I been a rotten person? Boy, have I been a bad person? And it also seems to get to a place where you're at, you have to get underneath all of that to what the real truth is. When, when people are acting out, I have a tendency to say they don't know who they are because if they knew who they were, they wouldn't be acting out like that. They are divine, wonderful people. They just don't know it and they don't act like it. And, and so right. it's like, that's what's really at the bottom of all of it, that divinity, which is in each of us, but it doesn't come immediately when you first start that spiritual practice. Would you agree with that? No, yeah. We, I mean, that's really the, the struggle is we have this dual nature, right? Where you are engaged in the material world and you got to show up for it. You got to pay your rent. You've got to work. You've got to take care of things, you know? Uh, so um, becoming a, a, a tree hugger who sort of surrenders to the flow of life can not seem very practical <laughs> to you at times. Right. And, and uh, it's not until you realize that surrender is a strategy because the way the world is going is much bigger than you. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to change a lot of things in this life. I can show up for them with a kind of a presence. Um, there's it's an the, interesting... It's the idea of layers, you know, layers of consciousness that you have to go through. Yeah, so overcoming the ego voice so to right. speak, which is what right. I was talking about. And there's a great line from Eckhart Tolle, probably a lot of your listeners know about him, the, the power of now, where he said that um, I realized one day that I hated myself. And so I asked, who am I and who is myself? Um, I had that experience that I described breaking free of finally, which is I felt kind of like a prisoner in my life. I felt like there was a me that wasn't able to come out and live because I had sort of painted myself into a corner and there were expectations and responsibilities and you know all these things I thought I had to measure up to. And it wasn't until all of that fell apart and I was able to, um, to hit that point. And this is, what death, this is what death does for us. We die in different ways in our lives, not necessarily in just the final material way but to different stages of our life and stuff is that it delivers you to a place of this kind of absolute humility where you get to start over where you realize uh everything i thought i was supposed to be you know i thought i was supposed to be married to this person i thought i was supposed to have this job i thought i was supposed to be living in this house you know those things can change and you you get an opportunity to say you know that's not who I am, actually. I'm something other than all of that. And you get that moment of absolute humility where you become teachable, where mm. growth can take place. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, we conflate humility with humiliation a lot of the times, and there's a small association because sometimes it requires that for us to get to that place. Yeah, um, but it's a really a beautiful point of transformation of opening up sometimes the hardest things that happen to us are the greatest opportunities and i know it's you know you hear that a lot and it's like oh, come on but it ends up being true because you do have an opportunity to confront what doesn't work in your life
and how you need to change to to uh, make it work. Things don't get better unless you change. Suzanne's looking up something else to which she will refer. Well, but... we've talked about going through the crisis door uh, a for, lot. for change. And there was yeah. something that uh, Robert said similarly about uh, transformation, but go ahead. I just wanted to know if you got any sense or even an inkling when you had these three remarkable experiences, Robert, of checking in at the doorstep of the other side and then, no, I've got more work to do or being told such. And so you came back into the body and you do what you do and you are who you are at this moment. I'm curious to know if there was any epiphany, any revelation to you during any one of these experiences that indicated what metaphysicians have told me for a long time, which is when you get over there, you carry your essence. We could say your rank, which is to paraphrase Emerson. You carry the rank of who you are in a spiritual universe. So there's no point in trying to BS anyone, to try to put on some kind of robe of dignity, or as the who saying, eminence front. Do not do that because you can't fool anybody much over there. You are who you are and you are recognized accordingly. Does that seem real to you? Did you experience anything that hints at that? Um, yeah, well, you know, my third one when, you know, I was very badly beaten and I ended up in a place where um, I had a group of entities that forced me back into life, forced me back into this life because I had a mission, basically. That... Uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that that was the one that sort of pushed me over. It was only a couple of years after that, that I had the real epiphany that, that I described earlier uh, that you're asking about. Um, but I did realize that at a, at a level that I hadn't been willing to uh, look at, I was here for a reason that it may not be to be uh, some kind of superstar. It may be something very simple. It may be to show up for my mother. I moved back to, uh, my wife and I moved back to California. I'm only two hours away from my mom now who just turned 90. And I need to reconnect with that circle in my life. That's part of my karma. And so I have the opportunity to do that as part of this essential mission in my life. now. It ain't no big deal. It's not something that's going to make the cover of the newspaper. But in my life, it's a very important thing. And so we, each of us, have that kind of opportunity to recognize that it's important, that we're here for a reason, you know, that, that um, it's stuff that only I can do. Nobody else can show up for this the same way. And uh, that opportunity get, and then gives me purpose. But, you know, the, the second book is about perspective, presence, and purpose. It's got those three sections. And that's the third section is that, that purpose that we have in life. That is, is not to, to star in my own movie, you know, where I'm the hero, but just to show up with a quality and a presence for life uh, that helps me put together this package of karmic data that I am you know, that, uh, that you're talking about, that um, I recognize in other people that each person has this unique package 
of who they are and what they need to be doing and what they need to express and how conscious they are of it, you know, how aware they are. A lot of people struggle with being aware of who they actually are and where they are. Right. And so we're compassionate about that right. as much as that, possible. That, that's what I was saying earlier about people who are acting badly. It, it's like if they really knew how magnificent they were, they wouldn't act that way. Yeah. Because yeah. they really are that good. Right. You, you reminded me just moments ago about the three parts of your book, perspective, presence, and purpose. And Gary and I read it cover to cover a few years ago when we when we first got it. Mm -hmm. It's not an old book. I mean, it's, it's relatively new, but we we read it when we first got it. And it really is a uh, if you read this with some intention, it can be a very life changing book. And, and when you get to the last chapter and there are these 20 things to just look at in your own life, as you said, some of them are just common sense. But to act on them, to do something with any one or group of those things can really make a difference, maybe in the planet, but definitely in your personal life. And yeah, plant a garden and share the vegetables with your neighbor. Yeah, yeah I you like know? that. Yep, walk, I like or ride, that. walk or ride a bicycle. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, these are not big, big, big things, They're not, but they right. are life-changing. They are, they are. And so, you know, I just want to recommend that people look at how to get to heaven, how to get to heaven by Robert Kopecki. Without, Without really, dying. really dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the important part. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. We've got a minute here. I just wanted to ask you, Robert, do you have a good time with IANs and other groups that deal with near-death experiences in an academic way, but also in a way that's meant to get out the word about human potential? Do you enjoy all that? I do. That's been a really remarkable experience for me. I've done, uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 IONS events and to discover this community of people and to see the range of it, you know, that's something that has really inspired my recent talks about spiritual technology is mm. uh, how near-death experiences are all different. There are some ah. things that are very similar between them but there are other things that are totally custom made for each one of us. And what that tells us about this incredible potential of life, you know, that, that life really is this gigantic, limitless sort of plastic thing that we can enter into a certain way and kind of co-create. Maybe we can take that up next time. Thank you for being with us today, Robert. Always a pleasure, Robert. Hey, it's so great to talk to you guys again. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Stay tuned for the Christine Up Church show and later American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. We're going to be talking about the Hollywood Museum. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Make this the start of a great weekend.